be the best of all friends. It turned to be L-O-V-E, and I was your man. So you was my lady friend. We spent time. I found a way to be by your side. Through the ins and outs, the wrongs and rights. After a while of being settled down, I didn't know how to keep the love. Cause I was young, I wish I knew then what I know now I wouldn't let you go I swear I would have made this love grow Spent a lot of time and a lot of dough Trying to match what we had and now I I, I was hoping we could find a way I was hoping we could find to have what we had again today Have what we had again today Sometimes it's you and I oh, 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 oh. It would hurt to try hurt to try to find oh. our love mm-hmm. Wish that I would have known The treasures I found I didn't know until you left I loved your smile Just the other day Your girl said that you can't stand me I know you don't mean that, can't we? Just slow down a minute and talk it out I've been my share of love since then don't know about what you've been through but nothing compares to what we had all i know is i need you back and i know that you need me back maybe let's try again to find our love hope i was hoping we could find a way yeah baby to have what we had again today again today it's been a while, uh, but we are back. And Quentin, this week we are sweet as Shugira. How's that? Does that, that work out? Nailed it. Nailed, Nailed it. it. All right, because we're going to talk about that, which I even forgot. We're going to talk about that because there's so much to talk about. Um, I meant to have the uh, pre-match uh, uh, or pre-show. Um, word production meeting with you about what we're going to do but we'll just do it right now so what we're going to talk about i think we'll open up and talk about the most topical thing which is actually good that we ended up putting this off to recording today we almost recorded yesterday um open up talking about omega moxley and kenny omega showing up in tna impact i guess um go into i guess war games talk or noah one or the other we'll see how it goes uh, yeah, the Noah title match, which is the namesake of this episode, basically, is a reference to. And then uh, close it up with, to me, the main event. We'll get in, in as depth as we feel like based on how long we've been talking at that point. Um, with the DDT D-King D-O Grand Prix Tournament, which has been fucking phenomenal. Um, we can maybe compare a little bit to the other tournaments that are going on in New Japan tandemly that, at the same time. Um, I guess they're running tandem, and they're also running concurrently to this one. That would be the correct phrasing there. Um, so yeah, Quentin, does that sound good to you? Sounds sounds good to me. Uh, yeah, been a while. Uh, holidays, I've worked a lot. So like, it was, like, yeah, so like, it, uh, just trying to balance that. Uh, I was just trying to find a way to come back and actually have stuff to talk about because I'll be honest with you, before that, I had nothing that I wanted to talk about. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I feel that. It's been a uh, it's been uh, a rough time for me too as well with work. Just like, you know, 
working at a hospital right now is not uh yeah so uh but do, but do, yeah. but do you have any proof of how bad it is tim <laughs> i don't I, i'm not able to actually show um like if there's a if there's any numbers, there's there's any deaths, including the you know the person that I literally saw today, as I was walking into work, I saw someone getting chest compressions and on a, uh, on a in in their car. Um, so you know I don't know, I guess no proof. I've just you know I've never seen that before, just out in the open walking into the front door of my work. Um, so that's just to say like where we're at uh, because that person was in some of the outside tents that we have going up because of our ER being too full um, inside, including like, I mean, in the ER, you just put people in the hallways sometimes. And if you don't have a room, you'll be doubling up rooms and having people everywhere you can. But we're getting to the point where we literally have tents outside. So, yeah, no, uh, no, no proof. No, uh, no way to show that this is real. And luckily, we don't have to worry too much, though, because the vaccine and and. And I think Biden said, I don't know, 100,000 vaccines or whatever. I, mean, in, I, think, I think he said like 100, like 100 million in 100 days. In 100 days. So good luck with that. I'm definitely, we're definitely going to see that happening um, for sure. We've got multiple different, I mean, the UK started, right? They did a, they did a. Yeah, they, 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 they start putting out trials. The, I think. Not even trials. They did the first non-trial. Yeah, not, yeah, not even trials. Yeah, yeah. yeah, trials is the wrong word. Like, I think they're actually like, yeah. it's actually starting. Yeah, right? they're starting to actually vaccinate the public which is cool um i also did another this is maybe the second or third time of a dose of this drug that's like this this crazy genetic drug that like cures some kind of insane cancer um that costs like 2.5 million dollars per dose so that was fun um got to got to make that again today this is like the third time it's pretty cool actually though like it actually cures like infants who have you a a syndrome that will basically make it so that they're not going to live past like usually about six months um it just completely cures them and then they just live a normal life afterwards so that's cool right i mean hey um but yeah so with everything going on it is definitely tough um to uh to want to talk about wrestling that much but like i said there's a lot going on um any other news or anything you want to talk about before we we get into the talk of the town really um with kenny omega uh no, just finished prison by any other name a few like a couple of weeks ago, maybe a week ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, really good, really good. I know you would. I know you would ask me about it. Um, yeah, I'm I'm actually you, on the hold list to get it from the library. Um, to get like a digital uh, copy. Oh, if, if I if, if I can make a recommendation, I got I I get I get um. I got my copy from from Reparations Club. Okay, but if you, like, I don't know if you want to buy, if you're like interested in buying books to keep books, or like you just like the, uh, like to rent. But uh, this this year, I've been uh, either getting my books off of uh, thrift books, which I didn't know was a thing until I just like looked yeah, yeah. up like you know thrift copies of books and all that kind of stuff. And then I also get get my from Reparations Club. So if you want to support, um, I guess a, I guess a, I guess a black owned bookstore or something like that. And if you don't want to go through like a other means like that like you know obviously yeah. not an amazon then like reparations club is an uh is a pretty is a pretty good option yeah i usually I use thrift books and book depository but i'll check this reparations club out because this is the first time i'm actually hearing of it um because i don't buy a lot of physical books usually um it's nice because like like i said i can just pop onto the la library and they have digital books even mm. online and you can just like just put a hold on it and they let me know when it's available but there's so few copies of that right now and a bunch of people wanting to check it out so maybe it'll be worthwhile for me to just buy it um 
But I just right. popped on there as soon as we were talking about it and put a hold on it so I would remember it so I just wouldn't forget, you know. Um, mm. But, uh, but yeah, maybe I will just buy, buy a copy there. Um, the other thing, I guess, news in our kind of smaller circle neck of the woods, um, the network is adding a new show. Um, we are getting Jamesy. Um, I don't know if he's been on the show, but he's, you know, he's been on other podcasts that me and you have done. Um, is starting up his own podcast, Boots and Trunks, right? Yeah, Boots and Trunks. Yeah. Um, podcast. And uh, as of right now, I mean, not a lot to say about what it is other than it's Jamesy, so it's going to be good and entertaining. Um, because I don't know if people are aware, he did the series with uh, Alan Farrell on The Torch. They talk about World of Sport here and there. Um, he's been on British Wrestling Experience pretty regularly. So he's a good voice to listen to um, in the podcasting realm. Excited to have another podcast on the network with us. Um, finally. He, finally, he, he, finally came, he finally came home. Yes, exactly, where he belongs. Um, but yeah, so, uh, so you know, good stuff there. Exciting, excited to, uh, to hear that um, come out. But uh, yeah, talk of the... Yeah, oh, yeah I mean... I was obviously like, like obviously we love we love James E and like we were like when he wasn't around it definitely was a, a void that was missed yeah. like it was definitely like very weird not having James E around so it's been nice to have him back and getting involved in wrestling and trying to find a way to enjoy it again so hopefully that hopefully this podcast that that podcast can do a can do that for him and i'm really i'm just i'm just glad to have him back yeah no me too and yeah good voice and he's i mean he's wrestled dad i mean he really is literally one of the only like friends and the people who are that we talk to and agree with that actually is legitimately a parent but he's got that voice of reason from an adult who who actually fucking knows what he's talking about and doesn't come across like an idiot um <laughs> you know what i mean and and it's nice to have him because he's got some gravitas to what he has to say when you know, sometimes you feel like you're yelling, screaming at a fucking brick wall when you've got the hegemon of, of other, you know, popular podcasting networks or, or uh, you know, wrestling journalists who all say some fucking wild ass takes. And you're just like, you, what the fuck are these people talking about? And you feel like you're just like the only person. <laughs> so it's nice to hear someone who feels like, you know, they're in the same boat as us. And also, you know, I mean, fuck, I don't know James, Jamesy from Adam, like just a few years ago, but like it's like really cool to talk to somebody who's been watching wrestling a long time. And like, he agrees with a lot of the shit that we say, you know what I mean? He's like, yeah, like you guys are right. And this is the stuff. Don't agree on everything. Of course not. We don't agree on everything, but yeah, it is. It's good to have his voice out there. Um, coming from another country and different backgrounds, again, different age block, but like still like saying like the same, similar, similar stuff. Um, I just it just popped in my head. I was talking about that. Fuck it, it's so funny. The the Great O'Karn and hearing like this just popped in my head. Like Meltzer saying Great O'Karn has no charisma, and I don't know if you've watched any of the tag league, but he's like clearly gonna be a fucking star in New Japan, and is like getting over majorly. And to hear someone just blatantly lying, <laughs> no charisma. Like you could say almost anything uh, else, but no charisma. I'm just like, what the fuck are you talking about? Even like physical charisma, he yeah. had that when he de- I know. He, he had that when he when he, when he redebuted and he was in the suit. I know, I know, it's it's fucking wild, man. So yeah, it's just it's nice what? to have someone who's who who comes across like they are actually living in the same world as you. 
you know? Yeah. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, Omega. Let's get to it, though. Moxley. Come into this. I think me and you were both probably pretty excited for this going in. Um, I mean, these guys have been sleeper wrestlers of the year all year. And they did a really good job of presenting them that way on AEW. Them legitimately delivering in that way. But almost never, up until this point, really making it obvious that that's where you're going. You're building up to these two guys. Until the past couple months where they were literally building towards it. It was not like this just kept being in the back of my head. Omoxley Mega, Omoxley Mega. But then once they flipped the switch and then they're building towards it, it all made perfect sense. It's almost one year. You know, it's almost been one year since their first match. You know, their first match was such a big deal. Um, and you've got the stuff to play off of with that. Kenny Omega saying, you know, leave the toys at home and let's just have a regular wrestling match. Actually, you didn't beat me because that match was, you know, lights out oh my off the God, record. That was so, that was so good. Yeah. And it was just, it was perfect. And it is, it was. Omega was the workhorse. Omega was on the TV. They, they even talked about it beforehand. Omega's the only person who hasn't missed a, a taping of Dynamite since the pandemic i think possibly ever but definitely since the pandemic he's the only person who hasn't missed once you know what i mean it's just like okay this he was the guy he, he there was times where he kept talking about okay was kenny is kenny Omega actually the best wrestler in the world and then over, over the past couple months moxley it's kind of like come together as the big match big match john um <laughs> is like actually you start looking at it and you're like wait moxley might be the wrestler of the year like i said and but it was they're both just happening separate from each other, not crossing paths, not interacting. And then, boom, it was like, okay, these are the two best wrestlers in the world. And they're about to go at it. And it, that might not be true. They're not definitely the two best wrestlers in the world. But the presentation and the booking and the way they set it up, they did about as good a job as they could to set that up. Now, here's the problem. Great job setting all that up. Super excited for the match. Really hard for a match to deliver on that kind of fucking build. And unfortunately, I don't think this match did. I don't think that this match felt like the two best wrestlers in the world having the greatest wrestling match of all time, which is what it really felt like you were going to get just based on the build and, and the setup. But what did you think? No, I feel I feels like AEW has more like better than any company that's been been in existence for a while. There was an obvious match on the table between your two biggest stars. And it didn't ever feel like one time that they were biding time for Omega versus Moxley. Everything Moxley did felt substantial. Everything Omega did felt substantial. And then when they finally flipped that switch, it feels natural. That's the thing is sometimes you can see something a mile away. And everyone has their moments where they, oh yeah, I can see where, I can see where this is going. And even though we all had that feeling, oh yeah, they're going to revisit M Omega versus Moxley at some point. That's the big match. They've only run, they've only they've only ran it one time. There's a natural story because that was unsanctioned and da, da 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 da. Like we all knew that, but still, we got wrapped up in the Omega and Hangman storyline and tag team. We got wrapped up in Moxley and his various title defenses and challengers. We got wrapped. We got so wrapped up in all of that that. You know, it was it really felt like a fresh, natural thing, and that's the thing I have to I have to give them the most credit for. That it felt like the two best wrestlers in the world in the company are coming head to head and having blows, and that's what you want out of wrestling. Sometimes you just want it to feel natural and believable, and 
I would say that other than something like Naito's rise to Okada, that I think that it's probably like the most organically built title match or title or title feud that we've seen in a long time. Yeah, and they, I mean, they leave it open for more, but to that point that you made there, like, even up until the point where Kenny Omega gets this title shot winning the tournament, I think until he wins, I still could have debated and easily seen Hangman winning. Like you said, it wasn't that obvious to where it was like, of course it's got to be Omega. Even at that point, I was kind of like, Hangman could still win the whole thing. Yeah, like, like, yeah, like, Hangman... And Moxley's never happened. They could easily yeah. run that. And they could just get to Kenny yeah, and Moxley could... later, you know? Yeah, especially with what we knew, like Full Gear, um Full Gear was the was the last paper was the last pay per view of the year. And like, okay, the next the next big show is whenever. Yeah. Realistically, like, oh yeah, okay, Hangman could be this like next filler program or something like that. It wasn't obvious this whole time because of that they've built everybody so well. So I, I think the thing I always give AEW most credit for is something that we always give New Japan credit for is that like the booking just makes sense, and it it, it, it makes sense, but it's also not the most obvious thing in the world. It's this thing where like they lay all the pieces out in front of you and they make sure everyone has credibility attached to them, but in the end, like the thing that makes sense is gonna happen. Spoilers, spoilers for anyone who who like hasn't seen the Undoing, but like. That is how, like, I feel about that show, too. It's like, they lay everything out in front of you and give credence to a, to a couple of theories or a couple of suspects or, like, just based off your mind and how you watch criminal shows or law enforcement shows that people think may happen. But in the end, like, it's what, like, what happened is what is the most logical and makes the most sense. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, I mean, that is, that. that's it. It's like... It could go any way, and anything could happen. But you're just waiting for when you when you see the actual payoff, um, and then when it gets there, it does like you said. It makes it makes sense, which is what we ended up with here. Um, but 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 here's the thing: is that it, like we got everything that made sense, and then they flipped it on his head. Yeah. <laughs> now we got like now we, everything made sense until it was like, wait, hold on, why did they like why is they turn Kenny Omega completely heel? He's with Don Callis, and oh wait, he's appearing on Impact. Like, yeah. So everything makes sense, and then they just like blow, and then they just blow you away with like, why is this happening? Well, that's the thing. Like I said, that there's that build in the background, and everything that they did felt like a disappointment when the match happens. But then it's like, but then you actually do something, and it's. I mean, there's debate, and I was in the Slack chat, you know, and I was kind of on the side of like why would you do something like this with Impact? It's like a poisoned brand. It's like got no value, all that stuff. But, I mean, I think it got everyone talking, and I think that all of that build and getting people enticed, and then if you're going to, like, pull something like this, it was the perfect time. You really set it up to, yeah. to like you said, swerve. You know, not even swerve, but just take that big left turn, that kind of out-of-nowhere thing. Um, that people wouldn't have predicted and you, because you've got all the attention and you've got the build. And, and so the build, I mean, while I say that it was disappointing because it didn't feel like the best match ever. And unfortunately, like it was very hard for it to be in the constructs of what it was. It was with on the TV and, and, you know, going to commercials and, you know, it had a good amount of time, but it wasn't like this big Epic. And there was a little bit of story stuff and, and maybe like throughout the match. And then maybe a little bit too much story stuff at the end. But, uh, but you did, 
deliver on all that build by paying it off with an angle that was like kind of a once you know once in a life not once in a lifetime but once in a generation once in a you know promotion kind of angle you can't pull off angles like that all the time you know so yeah like yeah like like let's be clear here and this, this is my argument i'm not even saying that this impact thing is like a great move for them or anything like that but think about this when is like the last time that we had something like this between two major American promotions that like were both airing on television and res- respectively, with or or like or um had any or, or any type of airing was ECW invading Raw, right? And like the crossover there, like that's the kind of territory that we're talking about here. So for us, and we've seen we we've seen like we've mostly seen. Impact Wrestling as this dysfunctional joke of a promotion, this is still a major wrestling promotion at the end of the day. That has an audience, that has a fan base that still watches and pays attention to them. So, does it benefit AEW, like, in a way of which they're gaining new viewers from Impact? I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe maybe a little bit. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe a couple of Impact loyalists. But what it does do is create buzz because this is like a, a this is unheard of territory for people that weren't like you know watching wrestling or weren't even alive when that ECW in in Raw thing happened. Right. Like this still is a big deal, regardless of how you feel about Impact Wrestling. And I think that that like that's been my like main take on it is that I don't like. Whatever matches may come from this, whatever uh, angles may come from this, and how much crossover may happen, who knows? But what I do know is that this is an angle that 15 years ago you wouldn't even be able to, be able to imagine happening. Yeah, and it just happened like right, and it just happened right in front of us. That's uh, that's definitely true, and I mean. The other part of it too is is that was a, that's a great comparison and it's not the one that I it hadn't crossed my mind and it's not one that I see people talking about the only thing I see, see people referencing is like ROH and ECW or not ECW, CZW and it's like that is not that's worlds different really that's two yeah, like very that, small like, yeah, indie like, promotions you know yeah like that's like that's not this we like this is ECW and Rob Van Dam coming out and, and on Raw that's what that's what this is this is not. Like, this this is not, like, ROH and CZW feuding in front of 200 people or 300 people. It's it's not that. This is, like, it's historic. Yeah, and even... And I know that people, and I, and I know that people, like, kind of hesitate to think that way or use those kind of words or talk about something that's, like, relating to Impact Wrestling. Sure. But think about the context of everything that's gone on to the American wrestling scene since WCW's death. This is a legitimately historic thing that is going on right now. Definitely. And the comparison that you make in bringing that up is like dead on. Even when you think about the kind of the relationship of the promotions, the relationship to each other size wise, power wise, like monetarily, all of it. It's like weirdly, it does make a lot of sense. AEW is a lot bigger, a lot, you know, more national and this is them kind of giving lifeboats to a smaller promotion that maybe they do use them hopefully a little bit more like holistically and a little bit less uh, a little bit less predatorily is the way WWE did to ECW eventually but the idea that that you have some kind of relationship with them where where impact is able to help 
AEW develop talent because that's the biggest issue AEW has right now is that they can sign all the talent in the world. They've signed way too much talent, if you really ask me, but they're, they don't have enough TV time and they don't have enough shows and they don't have enough matches to really do much with them. Well, if they can get some of their guys to do some stuff on Impact, if they can get people just from Impact rather than signing new people and kind of have them going back and forth and, and mixing things up a little bit more, I mean, they can get a lot out of using Impact as more of like a developmental area for them or or, or even a cool-off ring. Like, what, what do they call it? Like the batters or the, the warm-up circle or, you know what I mean? Like that kind of thing where you can send people down there to do some laps and get a little bit better or, or when guys are kind of like when someone's like not clicking send them to impact to kind of you know get some reps and like it wouldn't be in, it's not insane so you know i mean that's also like my like the main positive outside of like what i've already stated aw's women's division yeah they need that help yep like whatever they can get from there Whoever they can get to come over and work, whether it's Kiara Hogan, whether it's Jordan Grace, whoever they can get to come over here that has some kind of name value and can and can and can work, that is already a big plus for AEW already. And that's not even counting people that might that have big followings. Like, like we forget how big of a following Sammy Callahan has. Right. That's a that's a dude with a large following. In something like a John Moxley versus Sammy Callahan, a Kenny Omega versus Sammy Callahan, like some like so, like something like something something like that, uh, like a champion versus champion thing with Kenny and with Kenny and Rich Swan possibly, anything like that, or just a continued association of Kenny Omega and Don Callis, all that stuff is po- all that stuff is positive, but the women's uh, the Impact Women's roster has consistently been. Like at least at least decent, at least good yeah. for a long time. And AEW really, really could use that help. Oh, definitely. Deanna Perazzo. I mean, she's is she still the champion? Like you've got oh, to Yeah, to Neil Dashwood. Yeah, you've got tons of of great you know, women's wrestlers that, that they can again, like they can get their hands on, they can use. Um and yeah, I mean, historically, of course, Impact has always had, like, they, I mean, they had the original women's revolution with, like, Gail Kim and Awesome Kong. Like, they were doing, you know, like, they were doing 90s, you know. I, I, I you know, Ayoko Hamada. Yeah. And all, right. And no, of course, stuff. they brought her in. But yeah, it's like, they were doing the women's revolution and they were doing, like, 90s All Japan women's, uh, like, in America, like, you know, a long-ass time ago, basically. But, like... You know, then the women's revolution comes around, and, and and of course everything's different. But it's very funny because I've heard I've heard, you know, other people and you know, talk about AEW needing something as a developmental brand and, and more of a place for people to go. And it's true that Impact probably isn't like great for that, really, for them because they don't they don't. It's not like Impact runs a ton more shows. But just makes me think uh, this is another one. I hate to just dump on Meltzer a bunch, but it's just very funny how out of touch he is. Because um, he keeps talking about that he that AEW should be sending all of the young flyer guys like Top Flight and Private Park send them to Dragon Gate so that they can get so much good, you know, so much better at flying. Because that made such a difference for so many guys like the Young Bucks and blah, blah, and all this. And I'm like, he does not realize that all of the people who got trained in Dragon Gate that got really good at flying were trained by SEMA, and he's gone. Like, he doesn't realize, like, yeah. Dragon Gate is not the place where they're training high flyers. Right now, the young guys in Dragon Gate, other than, like, Shun Skywalker, are all more, like, really good at grappling and, like, well, heavyweight not, wrestlers. Not, not even that. 
not even that. Like, if you just look at Impact, they, I mean, not Impact, uh, Dragon Gate, they've shown no interest in bringing those kind of people over right. since Shima left. Yeah. Like, that was clear, that was clearly a Shima thing. That was thing. all Shima. All that stuff, like, yeah, bringing, bringing in your Sidels and Ricochets and Packs and even and even the Rascals and all that kind of stuff, that's literally all Shima. And if you look at what's happened since then, like, they're more so signing Japanese freelancers. Right. That's what they're, that's like, that's what, that's what, uh, What's been what's been going on? So I think people need to get the idea of Dragon Gate still being that place out of their yeah. heads. Dragon Gate's not the, the place the where the young flyer, high flyers are going to learn to get better. They're not going to be making Pac and Jack Evans, you know what I mean, anymore. Seidel in Dragon Gate anymore because they don't. That's not what they make anymore. They make like grapplers, like kind of junior heavyweight type brawlers. Like those are the kind of wrestlers that are coming out of the Dragon Gate school now. It's not high flyers. Like I said, Shun, and Shun is not even like a super impressive high flyer. He's like kind of impressive in Dragon Gate right now because they don't have a ton of super impressive young high flyers, but like he's, he's not doing anything crazy really when it comes to high flying. So it's just so funny how fucking behind the curve people can get. And like, because they just don't pay attention, like how quickly the world can pass you by. I mean, Seema's been gone for a while. You know what I mean? Like you think you would know at this point. Yeah, 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 but yeah, but I feel like people like just assumed it was a Dragon Gate thing, yeah. and it's like no, like like the like the politics involved in these wrestling companies influence a, influences a lot of different stuff. So Shima, who's been obsessed with the world and traveling all over the all over the world, whether that's America, China, Thailand, Greece, Mexico, wherever the fuck, Canada. that was all him. Yeah, taking a stop yeah, off like, in Canada to wrestle Dan Makabe. Shout out. Yeah, like that. Yeah, like that. That's all him. Yeah, exactly. So, I uh, so I do think that like the, the younger people need something. Definitely. But at the same time, it's like to play devil's advocate. Do you really want them to become another WWE? Is that is that like necessary? Is that like necessary for them to even compete? Like. Do we want AEW to sit there and have like three different shows? Like, there's there's a part of me that feels like I get it. I would like to see other people develop and all that kind of stuff. But do we? But that would involve them becoming WWE at the same right. time, and I feel like that's something that people like haven't really taken that consideration into doing. Well, it's such a it's such a tough situation because for them to come out of the gates firing and start a war with WWE, you know, quote unquote, whatever it is, they had to basically compete with WWE in the game that they play or else they would just get swamped and not exist. Right. Cause WWE could have just signed everybody up and then that would have been it and they would have been fucked. So they had to play that game where they signed a ton of people so that they would have people with promise and the chance. But then that does create, like, now they have to be a hegemon of their own, and they because they have all of these people on the roster, they have to do something with them. They can't just sign up a bunch of people and do nothing with them. Um, so then it's like, yeah, then they do, basically, to try to compete with WWE, they have to become WWE. What's that mean? It's like, I had to become war or whatever. Um, but yeah, it's like, that was your only chance to, like, compete with them or actually be taken seriously but it is then like it becomes the question this is you know it's like capitalism it's the you know capitalism communism thing it's like you can't you can't like compete with communism or capitalism in any way because at some point like it just subsumes you and and takes you into it and then turns it and commodifies you into part of capitalism well that's kind of what happened with trying to compete with wwe playing their game it's they they can't really be the counter to wwe when the only way to compete with them is to play their game and then they just slowly but surely turn into them we have to like yeah. accept 
them being something different. But then you get the people who argue and like fight and moan about like, oh, you know, this person shouldn't be on TV. They're not polished. They're not this and they're not that. And it's like, well, that's if they're trying to not be WWE, then they're going to have matches that are not necessarily exactly the same. You know what I mean? They're going to have. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah so it's like, what exactly do you want here? Right. It's either they become the it's either they best case scenario, at least for them or people that are sick of WWE is that they become the new like monolith. Within, within the wrestling world. But guess what that means? It means, like, fucking 10, 11 hours of programming right. every, every week. And people who eventually, like, even with even WWE, with all, the, all those hours of programming that are still underutilized. Right. So, at some point, it just becomes a wrestling fan issue because we like so many people and everyone has their different favorites and people they like and people they want to see do different things that even the company that airs the most programming on a weekly basis still has a problem with underutilizing people. Yeah. I mean, like like that's like, that's like, that's just the reality of it. Yeah. I mean, I think that what it really comes down to is that wrestling right now, as it's situated is wrong and we need to go back to the territory system. That's the only way that wrestling can be good. Cause then you can have all of these people that people like wrestling all over the place. And then, you know, you see them maybe three months a year, the trap, the acts who travel between territory and territory, but you got your, your guys and your local, you know, they don't have to all be guys, but you know, maybe that could be the updated territory. You know, you got the people who are local and they stay all year round, but then you've got the outsiders who come and go and their contracts change. And maybe some people do an extended run. They're there for a couple of years and then they leave, but you know what I mean? Like they don't, stick around and then that way you can actually have a ton of different people but again like this goes back to the concepts that we're talking that i was talking about with capitalism and commodification and that system doesn't work when one person or two people up at the top want to make all the money because to have an actual regional system that works like that then you can't the money is dispersed amongst a bunch of different people the funny thing about it is that it's not a zero-sum game right because when you have a ton of different regional promotions, somehow the pie and the money and the pot and everything is bigger. Like somehow <laughs> one or two people running companies, there's only a certain amount of money, but then somehow when you have tons of different promotions, there ends up being more money. It's very weird the way that that works. So it's, yeah. yeah, it's weird. It's weird like that you like cater to certain like communities and demographics and make them feel like they're part of something right. that like more money gets generated because people are very loyal yeah. to that promotion in that territory yeah. rather than getting alienated because one big monolith you know can be a turn off exactly. crazy how that works exactly <laughs> but either way this is not what we're here to talk about what we are here to talk about is kenny omega wins the title and then he shows up on impact wrestling last night did you watch any of it i saw i saw the i saw the uh kenny segments i was gonna ask you first like okay. We already saw pieces like you know some hints of Kenny going back to being a bit of a dick. Yes. But how did you feel about him going full blown heel? Was that a, was that a shock to you at all? Uh, kind of because it seemed like they were already kind of switching out of gear and going away from the heel thing. And you know, there's the talk. AEW doesn't have heels and faces. You know, that's the company line, and that's the kind of the co-opted media line. Is that you know, you if you if you do media for access with AEW, you have to say that too, that there's no heels and faces and Cody Rhodes says it on, you know, press junkets and all this. So, but it did feel like they had given, they were done with the Kenny Omega teasing heel thing. And maybe we're going to just move forward 
uh, have Kenny win the title here. Because AEW, I mean, I guess they had Jericho for a long time, had Moxley for a bit. Felt like a nice long babyface run with, with Omega would be fine, or maybe even short. But just getting the title on Omega, finally people get to have what they've been clamoring for the whole time with him as the champion and as a babyface would have made sense. So, yeah, I was, I, I guess, not shocked. And I don't even know if that's necessarily what you're asking. Um, but yeah, I was, uh, I didn't really expect that we would end the night with him being a heel champion. I think, I think that the degree in which it happened, like going full on, like Heenan and Bockwinkle and like, you know, with it, with it. <laughs> I, was, I was like, Oh, what the fuck? Like Don Callis is like actually a part of this thing. Yeah. Like, or like more reminiscent to like, um, you remember that segment where, uh, uh, so punk punk lays out Cena and then gets in the car and then like the slow reveal that it's Paul Heyman and uh, Paul yeah. Heyman driving the car. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, it was like, oh, okay, like that's what that's where we're going with this. I think that was more of the shock, right? But um, going 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 more to impact, the segments were yeah, the segments were very, very in- very interesting. I thought seeing Kenny in the again, he's he's never done a character like this before. Like it's still no. like a cocky like cocky asshole, but like this kind of character is new territory for Kenny I feel like and I think that this I think it'll work for him a lot and I've always liked Don Callis as a person as a personality outside uh, as a personality and I don't I'm very interested in this I'm definitely interested and I definitely think that there's that there's something that can be made of this um I think that there is some drawbacks for sure. I think that you're right that like this is not a character Kenny's done before and I think that it's not a natural character for Kenny. I when he's talking and off the cuff, I just feel like he's a little bit awkward because I think that Kenny ha- is very comfortable bragging about himself, his talents, his achievements and his abilities, and I think that he's not super comfortable bragging about his things and his possessions and his wealth. And I think that that came across in the promo here. He was trying to talk about having nice things and, you know, the the, the the lifestyle that being a championship wrestler affords me. I love being able to travel around and all this stuff. And that just felt very awkward. I think that he's... I, I don't even know that I would call Kenny Omega a humble person, but I think that he is the kind of person who lives modestly. I think that... I mean, when even when Kenny Omega was... lived in Japan for years had been in DDT was in new Japan. I talked to him at PWG show and I was like, what is the situation? Like when you're in Japan, cause they say you live there. And he basically said that he still lived in the dojo full time, basically like he was not off having his own place. You know what I mean? Like, and he had lived there for years and years. So to me, I'm just like, that's the kind of like, that's not just someone who like, is having a tough time or eating shit until they make it like that's a choice at that point because by the time he was in new japan he was making some money and he could probably have figured out a way to live i think that i think that housing rules and stuff like that in japan are a little bit different when you're a foreigner you might not be able to buy property but i'm sure he could have figured something out other than just living in the dojo that's why i say i think that kenny is a very modest person i mean i know people that i know people that are into anime video games stuff like that and like that's their thing, and a lot of those people who, like, those are their hobbies don't really, like, buy a ton of stuff and aren't, like, super ostentatious. 
Like, they kind of, like, playing video games is a pretty cheap hobby. Like, consoles come out every five years or whatever, and they're kind of expensive, but then otherwise, it's like you just buy video games and you hang out and play video games. Or watching anime is not, like, a super expensive hobby. If that's, like, a thing that you're into, you just watch anime. You know what I mean? Like, I, I just... Kenny doesn't come across, like, to me, like a guy who really does appreciate the finer things in life by way of, like, monetarily. Like, I don't think that he spends a ton of money on a bunch of stuff. So having him talk about his nice things just feels awkward. Um, that said, I think that Callus pulls that off well. I think you're right about that. I think that I, I agree with you that I've always liked Callus's personality. I like him on commentary. I like him on podcasts, historically, interviews, stuff like that. I think that he's not as good of a promo as his legend is. I think that people talk about him as if he's, like, a historic good promo, and I don't think oh, that he really is. Oh, yeah, no. Yeah. No, he, he's, like, he's good. I think he's very good, but, like, no, he's definitely not, like this legendary on the mic kind of guy. He's very good at drawing heat. Yes. Like, if we're, talk, if, we're talk, if we're talking to that capacity, he's very good at drawing heat. And this goes back to the audience thing. And I know that, like, we're in a place where, like, audiences are limited, but there are audiences. That if this was a full capacity uh, arena, whatever that they were running, I have no doubt that they that Callus would be drawing a lot of heat. Definitely. Like, there, there's no doubt. There's no doubt in my mind on that. It just feel. It feels like now, though, we we won't know the full capabilities of like how over as heels this pairing could have been. So now it's all gonna be like execution. How much it makes you believe in the pairing. How much Kenny projects as a heel. How good it is. How good. How natural uh, Catalyst and Omega are as a pairing. And I do feel like if we did have the bigger crowds, that Catalyst would be getting some heat. Yeah. And I think that there's promise here. Like I was saying, I think that there's promise here. I think that I think that the setup is really good because they talked about the like kind of subservient or smaller stature that Impact has to AEW, but having your champion be aligned with their like, you know, powers that be guy kind of works because it is like there's that historical bullshit in wrestling that people always say, like, somehow with the title comes power or whatever, you know what I mean? And it's like, okay, Kenny Kenny is, like, flexing that muscle to, like, make them have to give Impact some things. Which is some concessions and some stuff because he, you know, his friend is the boss over there. So that that works and I like that dynamic. I liked the Tony Khan promo video. Like, the paid advertising thing with, with Tony Khan and uh, Tony Schiavone was, was, I really enjoyed it. My only issue with, with it was that at times it seemed to slip in between being produced and off the cuff a little bit too much for me. I, I wish that they had kind of, like, tried to, to pick a lane and stick with it. Um, that was, like, my mm. biggest issue. There was just, like, some cognitive dissonance there where it was, like, at some times it felt like it was supposed to be Tony Khan was talking off the cuff. And then at other times it was, like, felt scripted and had stuff like post-production. You know what I mean? Like, the, didn't they pop in with, like, showing some advertisements and some dates and things like that? And it's, like, that would be very produced. That's not something he would just do off the cuff. So then when he's also, like, kind of trying to talk off the cuff or whatever, it seems a little... It just, I don't know. To me, it's like, do one or the other or else it makes it, it makes when you're being serious come across as disingenuous. And when you're doing a shoot, like kind of a work shooty thing like this, if you're trying to do that, the, the, the fucking death knell of the whole thing is coming across like you're not being serious or not being real, I guess. When I say disingenuous, like that's the issue. Like you don't want to, you want to not like bastardize the times where you're trying to be showing like the real you or the peek behind the curtain. And when you do that in this context, I unfortunately think that it hurts that 
because what it does is it shows like, oh, okay, so he can kind of act like he's off the cuff even in a situation that's supposed to be produced. So why would I believe that any of this is real ever? So to me, that's why you don't want to mix those two things so overtly in the same little segment. But otherwise, I, I did enjoy it. And like I said, I enjoy the nature of it. He's throwing little barbs at, at Impact. But he, unfortunately, he's kind of like, you know, stuck. He's saying, I could put it in Junction or I could do this and that, but I'm just going to let you do your thing because he doesn't want to fuck with Kenny too much because Kenny is the champion, you know, that that whole nature of it. So that was kind of cool. Like I said, I see promise in the relationship between Kenny and, and Callus. I actually think you can make something out of this. Um, I, 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 I will say a concern is, and Tony Khan has been involved in stuff on screen, but I... I hope Tony doesn't start getting involved more on the TV. I really hope Tony does keep his word and just backs off a little bit. Like, so I was fine with him going there to relay the message and say that. And like, even the way that they did it, like it was, it was very condescending. I don't know. I don't don't know if you, if you read that from like Tony Khan's, um, uh, from Tony Khan's promo, like, I don't know, did it feel kind of condescending? Oh, definitely. Or, like, you know, kind of, kind, yeah, kind of abrasive towards Impact? Oh, yeah. He was definitely, like I said, throwing some barbs at Impact. I mean, he was really going out of his way to kind of lightly shit on them. I mean, and especially the Tony Schiavone thing. I mean, fuck, one night and then I quit the industry for 18 years or whatever. It's like, you know, that was a, that was definitely a, uh, they were definitely throwing shade, as the, as the kids used to say five years ago. Yeah, so... I, I I am I am just hoping that this just keeps this from becoming an on-screen authority figure battle. Definitely. I know that's what Don Callis' role is in real life with Impact, and I know that's Tony's real role with AEW. I just hope that this that this doesn't uh, then have Tony just making a lot of appearances on a lot of appearances on 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 Dynamite well, in that capacity. Talking about that and the way that that Tony Khan said that he was not going to be an on-screen figure and then this and all that. Like, is there that connection to McMahon in Memphis when Vince McMahon tried out the heel character in Memphis first, basically, and got a taste for it and enjoyed it and kind of figured his thing out? Like, is this an intentional nod to that? Or is this just history repeating itself? And are we going to end up with a full-fledged, you know, Tony Khan character on TV? Because... Because, like you said, he in this setting, it's it is honestly very similar to the McMahon in Memphis thing. Because McMahon was a heel in Memphis because he was pro WWE, coming down there and shitting on them and and you know their whole thing and the King and all that. But but then eventually when he came back and now it was like, well, okay, I, I liked working heel. Is he kind? Of, I mean, he is kind of working a heel if you think about it in context of the people that are watching it are Impact fans, which seems insane. To watch it and think that any Impact fans would get mad, but we saw Trevor Dane tweeting out screen caps of, like, the fucking TNA Mecca message board, and they were legitimately getting mad at Tony Khan. And, like, saying that he yeah. was being fucking, you know, he was being conceited and, and talking down to them and all this. So it's like, is this Vince McMahon in Memphis? Are we seeing history repeat itself, or is it an intentional nod to that, and then after this is over, it's just going to be done. It's going to be gone. Because I wouldn't be shocked if it's not turning into the same thing that Tony Khan is like, I kind of like being on TV. I, 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 I get what you're saying. I, I'm just saying it from the perspective of like, you know, from the, from the person that does still want AW to not become that promotion, that same style of, of you know, American westernized wrestling. Um, 
that WWE the, the, uh, in, the, in the standard and the mold that WWE, that WWE has created. So that's just my fear. I'm not saying that it'll be bad or like I kind or that I don't like the nuances of it. Like you know, you know the idea of like you know Brett being a heel and Brett being a heel in America and being a hero in Canada, hearing a hero in Canada and Vince being a heel in Memphis because they feel like I I like all of that. I'm just saying from the standpoint of damn okay you guys did say that this wouldn't happen and like now i'm afraid that this might become a thing right yeah exactly that's why i'm 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 wondering if it's if it's conscious if tony khan is doing this intentionally mirroring the you know history and he's going to not follow on to the next part or if he's actually just getting caught up in it the same way that vince mcmahon did you know because i mean fuck man being on tv is it's pretty fucking probably enthralling. I can imagine that yeah. getting in that place in wrestling. I mean, that's why wrestlers never fucking retire, right? Because like, the, there's something to it, man. Like getting that attention, getting that pop from the crowd and the and the big time. But how about this? How about we transition from there, talking about old timers who are still <laughs> getting the pops from the crowd, <laughs> the Noah Championship match. Do you mind transitioning now, or you got anything else you want to close up with? Oh, I'm 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 fine with yeah. that. Um, so on air audible. Um, yes. I did. I, I didn't get. I didn't get a chance to watch anything from War Game from War Games yet. Okay. So we can just. We, so we can do Perfect. this, and then we can um hit up hit up some D King. So you know, we always say this, but maybe we're not here too long. But we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Um. All right. All right. Go ahead. Goshi Ozaki versus Takashi Sagira from the Premium Chronicles. It looks like. Yes. Or, or, or I believe it was. Yeah. Um. First off, video package for this was fucking incredible. Yeah. The video package for this ruled a whole lot. Um, a lot of people may not be familiar with the Go Shiozaki story, but when Go Shiozaki was given the ball to then be the face of Noah, he was given it in a in a rough spot. This is right after Masawa passed, and how similar he is to like. Kobashi and Masawa and like the things that were going on at the time like it just wasn't the right time for Go and eventually this ends when Takashi Sagira who was in a much better spot and uh connecting much better with the audience takes the title off of him in 2009 um so now here we are in these old rivals old foes coming back together at this point in time and this this go rain has been filled with a bunch of fucking long matches. It's really weird. It's kind of come out of nowhere. Um, you can call us the Goshiozaki jerk off store if you if you if you if you would like to. Um, I mean, okay, but but the only issue with that is that like I really have been enjoying it. So jerking off, it's like it's he's doing it for himself. But for me, I'm like he, getting he, into it. He, he, <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, I guess there's, I guess there's a, there's a, there's a subcategory for that. Yeah. <laughs> sure, sure, mutual masturbation, I guess. Um, but just completely coming in and having these super long Nira hour matches with Fujita, with Nakajima, with a long boy with Kano, even like you know, uh, even with Saito, all these matches have gone pretty decently long, and. Now here we are with Sagira and it feels like, man, like where do you go from here? I guess like it'd be like maybe you go from go having a big match with Kaito, but 
I don't because this seems like this is as good as like those long matches are gonna get, in my opinion. Yeah. Like fr- from all the backstory here to the striking, the selling, the aggression, how it escalates and how it ends, Go Shiozaki's performance. I feel like better than Go's other opponents in these matches, Sagira really held up his end of the bargain and I and like I feel like even like either way he would work better in a situation like this than a Nakajima or Kano would, where they're like clearly out of their depth. But Go Shiozaki being arguably one of the best wrestlers ever, like Held up has been having these really good performances, and I feel like this might be the best one. And his selling of everything from the initial arm work to how fucked up he is, as Sagira is giving this onslaught of offense, and eventually all the fire and passion and coming from coming from both of them as Go is just throwing these Vader-like clubbing clubbing arms at at Sagira and. I, I think that th- for this thing that Go is doing, I'm not sure that you could get any better. And, you know, like for all the stuff that, that, that could go wrong here, um, this is another really long match in a setting where there aren't, where there isn't a, like a big audience here. Sagira is really fucking old and just had like a, and had like a, had like, had like open heart surgery yeah. a few, a, a few, a couple of years ago. For all the things that could be in your head as to why this might not work. It works really well. And I'm not as far as like saying it's like the best match, like one of the best matches of the year or anything like that. Like I don't think nearly that highly of it, but it's a really, really well done 52 minute, 52 minute match. And I'm excited to even go back and like watch it again and uh, do more stuff like that because it's, extremely well worked and go Shiozaki deserves a lot of praise for how good he's been in these matches i mean i yeah i i think i'm above you in a lot of ways on this i'm like i think that this is in my conversation match of the year like that's the level that i'm at with this i think that you're completely right with everything you said there that the background between these two adds so much to the drama the history between them the video package and then the way that they went out here and just beat the shit out of each other. I think at the end of this, it really like cemented to me that if I did some kind of fucking wrestler of the year list for 2020, I think that that go is like cemented top 10. I'm like in my head talking about if I was like really going to think about it, I, I might be able to talk myself into go being wrestler of the year for 2020, honestly, with how fucked up this year has been. Yeah. And and if you're going, and if you're going based off like individual performances, like, Name someone who's better, who's had better individual performances all year than Go Shiozaki. Yeah, he's just in big singles matches. In I mean, in really in all of his singles matches, but everything this year, he's just knocked it out of the fucking park repeatedly, having amazing performances over and over again, um, and just huge matches that just I'm so invested in. I mean, the selling is so fucking good. But then that was the thing. Like he hits this big fucking twisting superplex kind of like yeah <laughs> almost into a falcon arrow thing midway through the match countering countering Segura trying to like suplex him off the top basically and uh, I think I think you're trying try to do like the, the uh, yes he was going for the, the big super Olympic slam and in that moment because I was watching this with Alicia and uh, and I was like Go has been so good at selling this year 
that I forgot he's so strong. <laughs> I was yeah. as I watched him doing that, I was like, he can't do that. He physically is not able to do that. How the fuck did he do that? His arms are falling off of his body. There's no way that he was able to, but watching it, he did it so effortlessly physically. I was like, oh yes, Goshiozaki is actually very big and very strong. He's been selling yeah. <laughs> so well that all year I've thought of him as like this weak. Not 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 even not even just like this year. Yeah. Like that's been like Goshiozaki's calling card for the last couple of years. Right. Really, even going back to like his DK run. Like Goshiozaki you he like he like he almost like makes you think he's like fucking Rey Mysterio or something. Yeah. Somehow. I it's amazing <laughs> the way that he wrestles as an underdog right now. It's like fucking brilliant. I mean, this guy is amazing. Like he is real realistically one of the greatest wrestlers in the world right now and like like I said, I mean, if I was going to do a 2020 list, I think it would be really hard for me not to have go as like my wrestler of the year. I'm like really talking myself into it that he's the, been the best wrestler this year. Like just because of these performances and the stuff like this. And so yeah, but but all the stuff you said, I mean, yeah, I was fucking shocked when Nakajima didn't beat him. Like I don't know where you go with this title run from here, especially because it's Noah. I don't know who they have left to challenge because after this, like you said, this is like the peak of this. The only thing, and this popped in my head, like, I don't know, maybe you could, Kitamiya, Kitamiya feels like they've kind of like downcycled him and I don't know that they go back to him, honestly. So like, I would be really shocked if they go to him. So the only thing, I- well, like, well, 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 apparently what's happening is, uh, well, okay. <laughs> Mudo. Is yes, coming in the face go, which would be insane. And but yeah, so like I don't know. Like, are, does Mudo have a chance of beating Go? That would be fucking crazy. Yeah, I, mean, I, 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 I think that this might, uh, this might happen. If, 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 if this, this is very, it's very possible. It is definitely possible that like somehow they could do that. I. It, because again, like I said, it doesn't feel like they have a lot of other places to go, booking wise. In my head, the thing that popped in my head, you could do, like something out of left field. Like put the title on Harada or something. Like someone who, like a junior heavyweight, Harada is the one that makes sense to me. Been there forever, and has never won the title, and just randomly have him win the title, right? Because like, it could just be out of nowhere, and you could elevate him. Like I said, Kitamiya, I don't think they're going back to. The other one that popped into my head, because he's been having such a great year, and you could do it as a big-time shock, and it honestly would make sense with his character, would be just to have Ogawa, like, roll him up and do a cradle and beat him in, like, you know, two minutes or something. And you could do something stupid like that. Like, because, yeah, we're at the point now where I don't know where you go next. I don't know that you... You're basically hitting diminishing returns at this point, because this was the peak, like you said. Like... I don't think you can that's do the, that, yeah. That's the problem with like, you know, the places in which like Noah and All Japan are in right now. Right. Where like the matches are good. Like I'm not gonna sit there and like act like these aren't good matches. But how many times am I gonna be excited to see Nakajima versus Sagira? How many times am I gonna see how many how many times am I gonna be excited to see Kaito versus Kano? Right. Like there can only be so many times in which these thing in which these matches get ran until it gets to, until it gets to a point of where like it's boring. So like I I like Muto coming in and all that stuff I, is interesting from 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 a, from a couple of perspectives. But 
and I, and I know they said they wouldn't do this, but like it almost gets, gets to a point where like, man, like, should come should someone from DDC just get sent over here for a little bit? Yeah, I mean, like, I wouldn't be shocked, or like, not that I wouldn't be shocked, but like that would not be a terrible idea right now, honestly. Like, like you could send a like you could send a rational over here for a little bit, like, like, I it just is. I, I'm coming from a place where I want these promotions to succeed. Noah, if I had to make a favorite promotions of all time list, Noah is probably in the top three. Like, I love Noah to death. But it just gets to a point where, like, I'd like, what do you do? How do you keep going in this direction? What's your next move? And finally, they gave Go Shiozaki the belt, gave him this big reign of which he's just been able to go out there and fulfill all the things he's never gotten to do. But he's doing it on a roster where there's four credible people. Right. And now we're getting Muto. It's, 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 it's tough. <sighs> it is tough. I could I could definitely see someone from DDT coming in would be decent. I was just thinking in my head, I was like, well, who's coming with Muto? And I was thinking Kaz Hayashi. And then I'm like, is he out injured? Because he hasn't wrestled since fucking October. So I'm like, is he injured or something? But the last one of the last matches he had... He beat Nosawa wrong guy, who is the booker of fucking Noah. So I wouldn't be shocked if Kaz doesn't come into Noah. And I could see putting the title on Kaz Hayashi rather than Mudo. Just because he has knees still. Um, yeah, but I'm pretty sure Kaz is still booked as a junior. Or still, like, like does junior shit. Yeah, probably. Fuck, you can put the title on him, though, rather than Mudo. I just really don't want them to put the title on Mudo, honestly. It, 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 it'd, be, it'd suck a lot. Like, it'd be like a big, like, LOL, what the fuck moment to have Goshi Ozaki go out there and have all these, like, damn near hour-long matches just to lose to Muto. Yeah. Actually, now that I think about it, because the only other match that I watched from this show was the um, was the, the junior tag team title match, and there was a weird post-match angle with, uh, with Kaz Hayashi turning on Stinger, and he had a masked person with him. So... I don't know who the mass person's going to be, but I mean that again. That's all junior stuff, so I don't think that, that would go into the heavyweight thing. But so that probably that mass person is going to be Kazayashi, actually, and he's not going to be. He's just going to be a junior person um, joining up with Nosawa in his like stable that's going to feud with Stinger. I guess I don't even fucking know. Um, yeah, whatever. That is it. I mean, these promotions. Luckily, Noah does have the connection to GDT, so we can or Cyber Agent, whatever it is, and, like, we can assume that maybe they'll end up doing something interesting, but, like, they've kind of said that they won't, but, you know, it's wrestling, so we take take everything at face value when it really comes down to stuff like that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, would it... Would it be that bad <laughs> to just have someone... Like, is probably a really good shout as someone who could just come in. Um... You know, like Hiroshima, like Hiroshima doesn't need to be there. He doesn't need to win the title. I was even actively against him winning the title last year when, like, when that happened. Like, he just doesn't need it. And if we're thinking about someone that can come in and work, um, like, again, like he can come in and he can keep coming and work with everybody. He can imagine, like, imagine Go versus Hiroshima, like getting just going out there and having like a 35, 40 minute match, right. like you know, Hiroshima can, you know, Hiroshima will be up for that kind of shit. Oh, definitely. Or even, like, yeah, like, Hiroshima can work with anybody because he can do all that stuff. If you want, like, the long, typical, pure title defense, you can do that. But he can also do all the 
kicky, uh, kind of kind of shoot based stuff if you want with Kano and Nakajima. Yeah, for sure. Or even like that, or the or, or the kind of like fast paced stuff that they do. So like, I don't know, but I, I but they've also said that they that they would try to like you know avoid doing something like that. It's it's just tough because like again like I like Noah, want them to succeed, want them to uh, be able to thrive, but it's hard when they have a limited roster, and even harder when their best idea is coming up with Mudo being a being a title challenger. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, you know what else? Uh, in the same vein, I was going to say, um, you know, Ogawa and Hiroshima. We can talk about Hiroshima can do anything. That'd be a lot of fun to see them go at it, and also. Uh, another one would be uh, Hiroshima and Sakuraba because he's been in Noah right now, and I could definitely see Hiroshima get down with some grappling, you know, some shoot style stuff would be a lot of mm-hmm. fun in Noah. So, so yeah, there's a, there'd be a lot of cool stuff for him to do there. I don't think it's gonna happen, but that link to DDT did make me think of this, and we are going to get into talking about D King after this. But I heard someone, I don't remember who, um, don't want to put it all on Melter. It was it was maybe maybe Lanza or somebody from Voices of Wrestling or who knows who, but basically kind of like implying for sure that definitely uh dragon gate is the number two you know promotion in japan and it just felt wrong to me like am i crazy to say that i think ddt is the number two promotion in japan not just like quality wise but like size drawing Uh, power like what do you think so you can come at this from two different angles Will a DDT will a, will a big DDT show draw bigger than a big Dragon Gate show? Yes. Yeah, I was looking into that. But, I was looking into draw. I was looking into the number of shows that they run. Go ahead. But, but like, if we're asked to like run all over the place, who would I trust to draw more? I'd say Dragon Gate. Like, if we're going all over the place, if you look at the size of the venues, right. which even DDT, like you know, before before the pandemic. Which they would run in certain places. They're running really, really small places in certain areas. They're huge in Tokyo, and they can do really huge business in Tokyo, bigger than any other company that's not New Japan can do. But they're not that big everywhere else. As to where Dragon Gate goes everywhere else, and they do, and they do pretty and they do pretty decent, decent business. On top of coming to Tokyo, and they can sell out Cork and Hall every night. Sure. So. I think it depends on the trait on the school of thought that you're coming from. DDT, huge in Tokyo, Amoeba TV, Cyber Agent, uh, so, so, so they can run Saitama, they can run Budokan, all that stuff. But Dragon Gate does better like everywhere else. Yeah. So it, I think I think I think it depends on like on like your school of thought. I think, and you know, obviously, I'm a coastal elite. You know, and I, I I come from a metropolitan city like Los Angeles, so so maybe my perception of this is a bit skewed because I don't know Japanese culture like as well. But based on the hierarchy of how I see just the way that the world works, I think that that's historical. Like I think, and this is really hard to compare because twenty twenty is is obviously anomalous year, but I do think that. Being able to to draw in the outskirts and not in the major metropolitan areas is that historical name recognition thing where I think that people know the brand. DDT has been bigger for longer, but when you start to see that shift where in the major metropolitan areas, 
or Dragon Gate has been bigger longer, and that's why in the rural areas people know the name and are more likely to show up for Dragon Gate. But I think when you start to see that shift in the me- major metropolitan areas, you know, of more people are going to to DDT, I think that that trickles down, or not trickles down, but that trickles out. I think that the people in the major, you know, populous centers, and the people who are in the metropolitan areas are going to like quick, more quickly hear and know about. Okay, actually, DDT is much better. You know what I mean? And then over time, that will go out to the rural areas where the people who maybe they're like not as invested in wrestling in general, maybe they're not paying attention to everything, start to find out like, yeah, actually, you know, I heard from this person, or actually, I went to the Dragon this Dragon Gate show and it wasn't that good, and you know, I went to this DDT show and it was great, and I've like heard from someone that it, you know what I mean. Like, I think that that stuff like just takes a little bit word of mouth travels a little bit slower you know what i mean and and that kind of that understanding of those kind of things happen a little bit slower because i do think that it's just like a sign of the times changing where i think that ddt is building is on the way up and dragon gate is on the way down and i think that they're passing each other to where i think that it's kind of crazy to say like hands down definitely dragon gate's the number two promotion in japan and DDT is not, you know, DDT is three. I think the DDT and Dragon Gate are like really close to each other to the point where I would say that DDT is going to be the number two promotion in Japan relatively soon. I think that they're definitely building. I think that they're a lot of the stigma around it not being maybe family friendly and and the kind of show that you can't take kids to or something is probably going to start to like wear off as there's more and more serious wrestling and more and more like characters that I think that you know you would be okay with everyone seeing. You're not seeing blow up dolls as much. You know what I mean. You're not seeing like that kind of stuff as often as you used no, to. Mostly people, people with their people with their asses yeah. out and all that kind of stuff. So Dino is definitely way cycled down the card. You're not seeing like big time presentations of, of Dino matches and and stuff like that. So yeah, I just think hearing someone say the Dragon Gate, you know, clearly, definitely the number two biggest promotion in Japan, without any question, just, like, it was kind of jarring to me, because I was like, I don't think that that's true, and I don't think that's as true as the, you know, people saying it think that it is. I think that that's very much up for debate at this point. It, yeah, it, yeah, it very, very much is a debate, and, like, just again, like, up to, up to your school of thought, up to your train of thought, and DDT has arguments that no one other than New Japan has, and New Japan is the biggest, right? Right. Because New Japan can, like, New Japan has all the big stuff. Like, they can sell these big arenas and everything, but they can also do that everywhere. Right. So, we don't, so we don't argue that. DDT does it, but they only do it in Tokyo. And, like, it's it's, it's all depending on train of thought. But I, but, I would, but I would agree with you that, like, making a definite, oh, yeah, this is the number two promotion. It seems kind of silly, just, like, it's, it's different arguments. Right. And I think not that long ago, I mean, you know, New Japan was running for, you know... You know, house short tour, not house short tours, but like smaller tours. Definitely, I remember Tag League and stuff, even like two, three years ago, running in like school gymnasiums. You know what I mean? So to say that New Japan like can only like can work these big arenas, that was not that long ago that they were running some pretty small buildings at times. You know? Yeah, like that. That's true. But then we're also, we're also talking about Tag League, right? Right. Which everyone right. realizes is like a was like was like the filler tournament to get to, to get to the definitely, dome. definitely. You weren't seeing G One running buildings that small for like at least the past like seven or eight years, really. Um. So yeah, but but yes, like that is definitely the the very small shows. But that is still to say that like they were not they were running pretty small buildings even just like two years ago, uh, for some sh- for some very small shows. Um. All right, so that said, 
We're going to talk about D King D O. I don't know. I think maybe it's culturally. I I don't know. What's better to say? What do you think? Uh, we could do, we could just go D. We can just go D O for these purposes if you want. I to. don't really care. Like I people do that, and it feels. We we could, we could do Grand Prix. I don't. Yeah, know. right. It does. I, this is not something that matters. I just wonder, you know, because people use different terms, and it's like, you know. In the context, is it like cultural appropriation or is it being respectful? DS, it's, it's like diaspora or diaspora. Yeah, like, sure, sure. <laughs> um, get into it. How much do you really want to break this apart? Do you want to get down granular and talk about every match? I'm pretty sure you don't. Um, I have not. I've not done that yet. I do want to go through just because I want to see more Harashima. I, I, I'm going to. Yeah. Um, Hiroshima and uh, Higuchi. I, I, I first want to make that time too. And just I, I like making that time for D King. Like yeah. DDT, like has a, like a really versatile cast of wrestlers, and I think and I think that like they are probably like they're re- they're really suited for a thing like this. Yeah. So no matter what, regardless. Of, go ahead. I would say like regardless of like how much like you know if there's like a match match of the year match of the year contender match of the month whatever it is on here. There are so many different people that are gonna have different styles of matches on here that like I like you know what like, I'm fine I, I could I could throw away like an hour and a half two hours watch watch watching this yeah. for me every D King tournament I've watched every match so far um, no matter yeah. where I'm at with DDT if I've watched like if I've been super invested in DDT if I've been kind of checked out this tournament is it's always worthwhile to me because exactly what you said. It's a company doesn't run a lot of big, you know, singles matches often. They keep it pretty limited to that, really. Most of the time, you've got a lot of tags. Um, you're not seeing these people mix it up, and they've got enough of a varied roster and a lot of really a, a depth of talent that really shows itself in this tournament uh, even more than historically to where like they can they can fucking put pretty much anyone out here and they can really fucking show out and that's what's been going on i mean this tournament has been to me phenomenal i mean there's been very few shows matches whatever that i would say like skip like i have been really enjoying it especially like there's the obvious stuff which to me i think the most obvious thing coming out of it to to me personally and i don't know maybe you don't agree with it is that Higuchi is the fucking man. Like, Higuchi has been the MVP of the entire tournament to me. Hands down, no question. Like, every match, every performance, phenomenal. He stands out. He's got star power. He's fucking great. But there's people underneath him that have been great, too. Like, Jun Akiyama has been really good. Um, Endo has had some solid performances. Takashita's been a little bit hit or miss. Hiroshima's been fantastic. But then you've got, to me, I think one of the most interesting stories of the entire tournament that's like super easy to overlook is the NWA guys. The three former NWA guys and like what they've been doing, what like their performances have been like and like their interactions, their very limited interactions with each other and kind of like what... I don't know their positioning, what everything means in the bigger picture of where DDT is going. Like I, I mean, it probably doesn't matter that much, but to me, that was like a, a, a plot that I noticed that I found very interesting. Um, mm. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. What do you, what do you think? What do you, what do you think about performances? What do you think about my, my kind of takes there on the, on the performances of the people? 
Um, for me, I would say the two, the two standouts for me so far have have been Hiroshima and, and Higuchi, but like that's typical for right. the, for, the, for this kind of stuff. Like, no, I'll I'll give you this. Like, my second favorite match of the tournament has been a Chris Brooks match. I'll tell you that. Okay. Hey. Um, and I, and, I, and obviously I like Chris Brooks. Like, I'm not saying that that like Chris Brooks isn't good, but. Hiroshima versus Chris Brooks from the first from the first night is really really fucking good. Yeah. <laughs> um, and like that's kind of that's kind of maintained. So like, I think if my my takeaway m- might be that as the tournament has gone on, I feel like nothing has really matched how good the first night was. When usually like we might have somebody like a speedball who might stumble upon like gold, like. On like some on some random on some random show where it's where they're where they're, where yeah. they're doing single cam, but there's not but there's not a speedball in this tournament, so I think that that's kind of missing from the smaller shows a little bit, and even stuff that people like might have might might have liked uh, like Higuchi versus Akiyama is good, but I don't understand where all of the hype came from for it. Honestly, like I get like that it was short and like the shock value of that could uh, appeal to some people. But watching as it was worked, I didn't really get all the hype about it. And then some of the some of the bigger Takashita stuff. And I'm a Takashita. You yeah, yeah. know how much I love Takashita. But even him and how long some of these matches are going with Akito and Chris Brooks is like, okay, dude. Like we don't we don't know. I don't I don't need this right now. I don't I don't need you to do this. This isn't necessary. Even in the G1, in and how notorious New Japan has been for these kind of matches. The, the match times for the G1 in their main events were really cut down. So it feels weird to sit there and see Takashita going like 28 minutes with Akito when like they weren't they weren't even doing that with some of the some of the bigger G1 matches. Right. No, and that's I mean again, you don't, we don't I don't think that this is a place where we have to defend that kind of stuff cuz this has been an unapologetic like Takashita Stan podcast from the beginning. We have we have just completely gushed over him in the past, and yeah, I mean this tournament he's been, like he said, very hit or miss, and more misses than hits. I mean, realistically, like the opening night match, which is very funny because it's the only fucking Daisuke Sasaki match in the in the whole tournament, which is unfortunate. I do wonder what it would be like if we were having Daisuke Sasaki throughout. I mean, probably not wouldn't be like this huge boon to the quality of the tournament overall, but it would at least be different. Um, but yeah, I mean, other than that, I mean that the Chris Brooks match, I really enjoyed. I don't know if you checked it out, but I, I really liked that, but I, you know, that's again, that's like a pairing. That's like 50, 50 to me. I feel like they've had bad matches and they've had good matches. And that's a, that's like not necessarily a pairing. That's like bulletproof. Um, so yeah, I mean, they've just, Takashita has been really, I've been really questioning him him in this tournament. Um, but I'll go back to kind of what I was talking about. It's a similar feeling that I've been having uh, when I talk about, like, the, the history. Or not the history, but the interactions and the performances from the, the NWA guys. Um, which is, like, Mao has been, like, I don't know where the fuck happened to him. He came back, and I was expecting that... Mao was just... He, he's having a full-on identity crisis. Yeah. I, I don't... Like, and it's weird because then you have Yuki Ueno, and Yuki Ueno is doing really, really well. Like, Endo versus Ueno is one of the better matches that has, ha- that has happened after the, initial, after the initial night. 
And he's been good. And he went over versus Higuchi. He's had one of the best matches of the tournament. Right. So this it's really weird to sit the, to watch this and remember in the light we were placing Malwin a few years ago. And him here where he's getting the chances, and then Ueno was completely outshining him. Yeah, I was expecting Mao again, I talked about it when we when we talked about uh the when Mao showed up when he returned and the angle, like I was really expecting Mao to hit the ground running here and especially here in DK to have like some big showings and I've just been getting like nothing. You talk about identity crisis, that's perfect. Like, yeah, that's that's the way to, to do it. But I think then the other two former NWA members are not having identity crises, but they're having like very polar versions. Like Shunma, I, Shunma has just gone full stick. He's wearing you know alternate uh, alternate outfits to, depending on the storyline. His matches are fine, but his his commitment seems to be more to the hoopla and the stuff outside the ring and all of that. As opposed to the in-ring. And then on the other side, Oishi has been, like, a dark horse or, an, like, the mid-card workhorse fucking MVP. Like I said, you know, we talked about the, the top two guys in, in Higuchi and, and Hiroshima as the MVPs. But to me, Oishi has had nothing but great performances. I mean, every one of right. every one of his matches, he's been very good in. His match with Higuchi is probably... Like, it might possibly be my match of the tournament. I loved the fucking match in general, and the finish was so brutal, and his selling and the way that it was delivered was so fucking good. The Higuchi, for me, being the clear MVP and then having, to me, what I think is his best match with Oishi has been, like, something that really stuck with me about how good Oishi has been throughout the whole tournament. So I'm just like, god damn, like, this guy, like, his the match with Akiyama was phenomenal. Like, I don't know, like... Oishi is not someone who I've really thought a ton about, but in this tournament, he's really come to like to show out, and he has like in spades like really shown off. Yeah, that like that that that's for sure. And again, like that go that goes back to even Shunma. Like he's stick, but I like Haguji versus Shunma. Yeah. I like I like I like some of the stuff he's doing. Definitely. So even with that. It just makes it feel like, man, like, what the fuck is going on with that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because the other two guys, I mean, to me, like, to me, NWA was, like, a a big thing, and I really liked it, like, a lot. And I thought that all three guys could, like, break out and and make it to star level at some point and to watch the way their careers are going. And, like I said, them two, Shunma and Oishi, have, like, have clearly made their decision on what they are, and they're doing it, and they're doing it pretty well. Shunma, like I said, he's not focusing on the in-ring as much, but he's having good matches, and the outside and the stick and, and the playing around and the getting the investment for that kind of stuff works for him, just like you said. like It's not that the matches are bad, it's just he's not focusing on the work as much. And Oishi is like, seems like he's just having great matches. Like, he's really delivering in-ring. So, they're like doing something, <laughs> and they're like committed, and Mao is like, what? I don't know what the fuck is going on. This felt like this was supposed to be his tournament to break out, and like, I don't know if I would say that he was better. Like, I think Akito was better than him. I think fucking Brooks was better than him. Like, I think that, that pretty much everybody in the tournament, you know, was, was is, is actually delivering something better. Mal might end up being, like, the worst, to me, the worst performances in the tournament, which is crazy. Man, that's, that's crazy to think about because I'm, I'm looking through it. Soma Takao, maybe? Like, I don't know. So Even Soma has had some decent Yeah, matches. like, <laughs> I don't know what the fuck is going on with Mal. Like, he's just not, he's not here. Like... Man, that's it. You're 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 one hundred percent right. Like, 
I've never thought I haven't like really thought about it, but yeah, Mal might wind up being the worst guy in the tournament this year. And man, who would have thought that? But like maybe we got maybe like maybe like maybe like you know to look back on it, maybe like we got so wrapped up in how much we liked Mal and how like and how much we liked the Moonlight Moon, Moonlight Express and everything that like when we really go back and look at Mal. Did Mao ever show anything that could like that shows he was like, capable of being on that level as a singles guy? You know, I I I don't know if he ever did. I think we just kind of assumed it because Mao was young and like the Moonlight Express was getting a push yeah. and there been good tag team matches. But did Mao ever really show that like level to him? Like if we if we really look back on it, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's the that's the crazy thing. Moonlight Express was so good that I assumed that he was good. And I think that you're right in that. But, like, maybe he never showed anything. Like, I was thinking back, I was trying to, and I was like, maybe the, maybe the Hiroshima, because Hiroshima is like, there's just been no doubt. You yeah. can have a good match yeah, with but Hiroshima. Like, but I was thinking about it. Yeah, I think that's Hiroshima. Yeah, sure. But I was like, maybe Mal had a good match with Hiroshima. But then I thought back to it, and the Hiroshima match is the match where Mal completely blows his fucking finish. He goes through the springboard twisting moonsault thing, and he just completely biffs it, and it, like, looks like complete shit like he almost breaks his neck so i'm just like holy shit even in like the guaranteed good match of the tournament he like nearly killed himself so yeah i don't (laughs) i don't know i don't know i mean maybe ah i don't know there's like again like like i said like you go over and we talk we've talked about ueno when like his rise and how they've and how they've been building uh and how they've been building him along, right? And how they're how, how they're building a not, not Nautilus along, and Ueno's going out there and having great matches and great performances every single time. So like, we we always just kind of pegged Mao as like the next Ibushi and like this next star, and then the real guy that's that is that is Ueno. Yeah, I and I think that it was tough for me because I think I I I felt like they're going with Ueno instead of Mao, and it made me a little bit defensive. But, and, like, part of it, like, we haven't really even talked about Yuno that much about his performances here, but I think that where it, like, kind of clicked exactly with what you're saying for me was in the, the match with Endo, um, where I think that I really saw that, that yeah, like, I need to just, like, get into Yuno and take him seriously, <laughs> because he can have cool, yeah. kick-ass matches with the top guy, with the champion here, and, like, it's not, like, about, like, again, I just have to give up on, like, being weirdly invested in someone who's obviously just washing out here. Um, and go, like, alright, cool, like, let's get into this this guy, let's get into, like, what where it's actually going. And I think Ueno, I mean, Ueno is solid. I, to me, I'm not invested in him, I don't, he feels kind of bland. Um, I'll give you that, yeah, he, he, is, he is kind of, he is kind of bland, but then, like, again, like, you watch the, you watch the matches, and you watch, like, how he sells and like he does he does all of yeah. his shit really smoothly and really well. It's like, ah, oh, you know what? I can't really like fight back on this guy. I think that's why the Endo match worked for me because I have the same feeling for Endo. And I think it's very funny because I heard someone talking about it and saying like Endo is Endo's clearly better than Takashita and has more charisma and all this and I just I do not <laughs> see it at all. And I was just fucking shocked. No. Yeah, not not at yeah, but seeing them like, two together, and I was like, okay, I get it. Like these are these are the kind of guys that get over in DDT. Like it's it's not for me, but I think that maybe it does get over for the crowds there, and maybe they're invested in them, but I'm just not. Like to me, I think that Endo has something. I get it, kind of, but it's just not for me. I'm not super invested in him, and UNO, I'm just not there yet. 
like to where I can even necessarily see that there's something there. But he is very talented. He's a very talented wrestler, and he has good matches. I just not emotionally invested in him slightly, and I don't even really see any star power in him. But I think it'll come, and I think that DDT does a really good job of like they make people like they just they don't give up on anyone. DDT will cycle people up and down the card. But DDT, I've never really ever seen DDT give up on anyone ever. Like, they just, they're willing to work with people no matter what. So, I could definitely see, like, the UNO can, will be able to have a chance to get there and, and, and figure it out. And, again, maybe he just needs to find, like, his own character and show more of his own personality. But, I mean, that shit takes time. There's not a lot of wrestlers who pull that off instantly, you know? Um, going back to, going back to Endo, I forgot a match that I did like. I did, I did like the, uh, Higuchi versus Endo main event. I'm not sure, I'm not yeah. sure how you felt, how you felt about oh, that. Oh yeah, no, I loved okay. it. Yeah. Like I said, every okay, Higuchi yeah, but... match to me was like great. I, I've loved, like there isn't a single Higuchi match that I wouldn't recommend people go out of their way to watch from this tournament. But yeah, the Endo match definitely, definitely stands out as one of the, okay. one of the top end ones. All right, let's, let's talk about our boys then. Um, Akita, Akita and Sakaguchi, uh. Akito has been interesting. Yeah, like that. We, that that Takashita match was really weird. Um, but then he also has like the the Harashima match that I that I that I really liked. And he's typically like individually, Akito is always really good. And then Sakaguchi is always someone that's you never know what he's gonna. You never know like how the match is gonna wind up going. But you know Sakaguchi's gonna hit gonna, gonna kick the shit out of people. And one like once in a while you might stumble upon like some magic. Yeah. Um, I haven't really seen any magic so how, though. You like Sakaguchi didn't yeah. n- didn't really like strike lightning yet this or at all this year. I guess we're pretty much done. Um, so to me, yeah, didn't. But he's just kind of winding down. But that said, I think that that baseline really good delivery, solid, like believable kick ass, like striking that he can do was still there. But there was nothing that was that lightning strike, like you know, big time stuff. Um, well, we're we're still. We're, I think I, I, if I'm not mistaken, I think we're still waiting. Um, yeah, we're, 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 I'm trying to think. We're, we're, Akiyama and oh, I thought Akiyama and Sakaguchi were in the same block no, for a no. second. That that was my shit. Like I'm like, oh, well, Akiyama and Sakaguchi could, that would uh, kick ass. Could be could, yeah, yeah. I thought I thought I thought that was I thought that was in the same block for a second. Then I realized they probably wouldn't put Sakaguchi and Higuchi in the same block. No. Um, no. Which they. But, Which they might have, they might should have, because that would have probably been a, a really good match. Um, but have you felt about your guy Sakaguchi so far? It seems like you're like you know, it seems like he's been all right, but he hasn't really hit like for no, you the way that you would like. He him hasn't to hit stood for. out, yeah. but for me, he's always going to be, he's always going to be like solid. Like I said, he's probably in my bottom half of performance. Ah! Yeah, he honestly probably is in the bottom half of performance performers to me for this tournament. But that said, I mean, he's still. He's still solidly good. I mean, realistically, to me, like, there's there's nobody in here that I would say would is bad, except for, <laughs> I hate to say it, but Mao has been the only person who feels like he's dragging the thing down. Like, be like Mao and then Shunma to me are, like, the, the, the kind of bottom two, and even Shunma has been good. Then you go into, like, Soma Takao, who I historically like, I think, more than some people. Um, so, like, yeah, I, I, those are kind of the bottoms, and then, like, Sakaguchi's in that conversation right, right there, probably, uh, maybe... There could be a toss-up between like someone like Sakaguchi and and uh, Akiyama. The there was a match where um, Okatani and it was like a non-tournament match where Sakaguchi got the buy on uh, Sasaki, and Sakaguchi uh-huh. I guess came out and said like uh, 
uh, I'm gonna kick your ass like it was like it was Sasaki was still here, and that match was like one of the better matches that he's had on the in the tur- tour, and it's not in the because ma- he was just beating the shit out of a young boy, and we haven't really gotten any of that kind of that kind of like uh, that just dismissive like assholiness that he can bring, and that's the thing. God damn it, we this fucking speedball, man. Yeah, I know, I know. I wish we could get speedball in here. It would it would definitely be bringing it. Uh, it, 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 would change, it would change the whole tournament. I know. But... I know. Oh, you of course. Oh, um, but yeah, I mean, Akito though. I mean, he has been phenomenal. Like he really has been, and he's another one. I mean, I was, I, I think I was like really shocked with how much I've liked Oishi's stuff. Um, so like, I overlook someone like Akito, but Akito's definitely like a workhorse MVP guy who's like great matches up and down the up and down the card, no matter who he's working. Um, like, I'm with you that I didn't like the Takashita Akito match very much. But I thought that Akito's performance was great. Like, yeah, yeah. like he's very good, but I just... The, the, I don't know, that match pissed me off. I, I really... I don't want to get too much into it, but that match, just the vibe of it just really sucked because of the way that Takashita has been all tournament, and then for some reason in that fucking match, he just works completely different, and it just felt... just felt so much like he was just, like, trying to, like, big dick Akito because like you know he's the the leader of all out and just had to like show off this like i don't know put him in his place kind of thing and it just kind of pissed me off because it just threw off the psychology of everything um i said like the chris brooks aikido match was really good which like i kind of expected from them you know obviously harashima and aikido yeah, like you know what more do you have to right, say there exactly i mean yeah so aikido has been really fucking good as well um like solid yeah so like for me the workhorses of the tournament oishi akito are the guys who like aren't necessarily having big like matches for themselves to shine um akito actually does have a couple like i said the chris brooks match is definitely a very much akito shine match um oishi's really not getting any matches where he gets to be the shine of the match but like the guys who are out there to like work the other person's match get them over make them look good you know, that's been Akito, and obviously that's been something that he's done forever. But, like, yeah, really, really done expertly here in this tournament. Um, I guess Akiyama would be the last one. I want to hear your kind of take so far on Akiyama because, I mean, obviously we've all said for a long time still very good, but what do you think about him here mixing it up with uh, a lot of younger people that he's never wrestled before and a lot of, uh, a lot of just a lot of different matches? Um, it's interesting. It's interesting to see him, you know, out of the out, out of all Japan. Like, you know, he's been over been over here for a little bit, and just the work that he gets to do with such a wide variety of characters that he's like never got to interact with. Um, and for the most part, June brings the same energy that he's all that he's always brought. He's the same like grumpy old man that hits really hard and knees you in the chest. Like he's been that. He's been that for years now, and. There are some people like like you know like Oishi, like Soma, like Shunma, you know even like an Endo, that like is really refreshing to see him work that way with. But uh, I think the Endo match is probably the one I've enjoyed the most, and then everything else is good, but then it feels like eh, okay, like I'm not sure like it's like a uh, like I'm super impressed with it. Or the Haguchi match, I'm not sure you felt about the Haguchi match, but it felt like there was so much hype around the Haguchi match and then like you actually and then I actually watched it and it's like did people just like it because it was short because I didn't think that there was anything like you know super violent or like spectacular about it maybe the finish I like the finish but 
other than that, I don't. I didn't think anything about that was so special. So I believe we're getting typical good Junakiyama performances. But other than the Endo match, I haven't really been super impressed by anything. Oh yeah, I could definitely see that. I think solid, different, stands out, and I think that that's the transition kind of that I wanted. So. So perfect, Quentin. You read my mind here. Um, we're on the same page. It is the, it's really the last match of the tournament so far, um, main event of the last night so far, um, and I think that the reason why it's getting so much buzz is obviously everything is executed very well. It's four minutes, so it's really hard to fuck anything up. Um, but that said, I think that there's a catharsis to the match and an investment that is why it's getting so much buzz because of exactly what I said we're we're in a situation where it feels like this entire tournament so far has been set up and built and positioned in a way to really make Higuchi shine and feel like a big deal and not just a big deal but like this big unbeatable monster and then you've got stuff like him going to a double knockout with Endo who's the champion um, of the company and it kind of feels like that's your like cool off actually don't get too excited about this guy that everyone is into and everyone loves um and then you get something like this where he's going up against this legendary veteran and they just smash into each other full force repeatedly for less than five minutes until higuchi just violently puts him down aggressively with this big brain claw and like i said it's just the the catharsis of being like this feels like this should be the guy but i don't think that they're going to book him that way there's no chance it's the kind of thing where, where it's the kind of thing where it feels like as a as a higuchi fan like oh finally this is like this is his moment it is like, yeah. like we've been okay like okay because this is I, it for I, him I, I, he's I done with I, the tournament he's he's right. his last night is his by night and it's like okay, they don't really, they're never going to actually take him seriously. I should probably just give up on, like, you know, being excited. Like, how is he, there's no way he's going to win the tournament. You know what I mean? Like, whatever, blah, blah. And then you get this, and it's just like, oh, shit, they do take him seriously. <laughs> you know? And not just that they take him seriously, but it's also like, again, it's like this catharsis because it's this payoff of this violent aggression with the way that he finishes june he doesn't just like win but he like puts him down like aggressively so yeah that's that's i think what it is it's it's there's definitely a lot outside of just what happens in the ring because like i said these guys are are definitely fucking pros and like both are very good and having a great tournament so and there's no not you're not going to expect in a sub five minute match that they're going to fuck anything up and not have it look good but the reason why people are super into it is because it's like it's definitely, you know, they definitely kicked each other's asses. They went out there violently and smashed into each other. But it's also a lot of emotional investment. And it's a big time payoff at the end that just makes you go like, holy shit, did they really just do that? Okay. Like, okay, it's a Gucci season. We're taking this guy seriously and we're actually doing something, you know. And that's kind of, I think, a lot of why it's getting a lot of praise. Okay. I think that's all very valid and totally fair. I guess coming into it, like... Having no having no read for who's gonna win here and what and what the situation is, they're like that that didn't even like register for me at all. So going through it and Higuchi getting that like last big like push 
before going before going into his bye night. Okay, I, I I definitely can understand that and appreciate that a little bit more. Um, I would still say the action of it just still just didn't do it for me in that way. Even like knowing that and like knowing how like how that like must have felt as a Higuchi fan who've been waiting for him to get put on that kind of pedestal. Um, it just didn't throw me the way like others like you know sub ten minutes sub five minute matches can. But I, I I get I get I guess I get the appeal a bit more now. Yeah, exactly. So that's kind of uh that's kind of the situation I think there is it's definitely a big time like it's an investment thing and it and it adds a little bit of hope because it does feel like that's a big dominant win. I don't think again like I said I don't think there's really any chance that he wins the tournament because I don't think you have the winner of the tournament win on a bye night where they don't even wrestle, you know what I mean? Um but Yeah, it's possible. It's but, possible. You know, we, 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 yeah. Yeah, because I was looking. Well, but I don't. I don't. Oh, I, 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 was, I don't even know he would need to win. For him to win, I think um, Indo. Okay, so I think that because it's like a there's like a three way tie between him and Indo, and him and Indo are um, are are tied um, at the top because they they had a draw with each other, and I think that so for him to win, there's also there's. Two, there's three people tied beneath him and Endo, with like six points each. Yeah, uh, yeah, Akiyama, Soma, and Ueno all have um all have six, six, all have points. six points. And I think that um like ah, fuck, I'm trying to think of it because I I looked through it and I wish I had like I should have written myself some notes so I could remember this. Um, so basically, two of the people who are tied beneath um. Endo and uh, Ueno, I think it's Soma and uh, Ueno have to, um, they would both have to like get ties or something. And then Akiyama has to lose because I think that Soma and Ueno are actually wrestling each other in the finals. So like the only way that he could win is for, for them to tie. Uh. I think, I'm trying to remember. Yeah, I think that that's it. Um, and then, and then oh, June. Oh, no, no, no. Actually, June. no, no. It's June. It's June and UNO have to tie each other. And then because I think Higuchi has beat both of them, he could win. And then Endo okay. also has and that, to lose. And that, and, and that, and that could happen. Right. So they could tie each other, right. which is like not likely. And then also Endo has to lose to Soma to count. Well, actually, no. Now that I think about it, I think he, he lost. He lost to Soma. What would it be Shunma? Um, yeah, I think actually, no. It's uh, Oishi. So Oishi would have to beat um, Endo, which I think is obviously not very likely. But but and but but that would involve. Um... Okay, so you think the win- so you think the person in the final is going to be either Ueno or Akiyama? That's what they're saying. Yeah, I think the Endo because because yeah. I remember Endo's Endo's a champion, right. so like that typically wouldn't happen. Right, but um, oh, actually, yeah. So Endo, unless Endo beats Endo, could you lose. Think he's going to lose to like, Oishi like, though? I mean, I guess he he's the champion. It's DDT, and like you know, uh, he's the champion. So it's like this, like. They, I get, like, the shit has been weird in, in all across wrestling. New Japan's booking patterns right. have changed and everything, but 
the, like is the champion gonna be in the finals of a tournament that define that that decides who's gonna challenge who's gonna be like a title challenger? Right. You know that does that's not usually the goal here. So then we're left here if we're assuming that if we're assuming that Endo uh, the Endo the Endo doesn't the Endo doesn't win the Endo doesn't win we're then left with Junakiyama versus Yuki Ueno, and I don't know like I think it's possible to see like. Uh, indecisive uh, match there, but who knows? Like a- Akiyama, Akiyama is obviously a big name to come in. So we saw we saw with Masato Tanaka. We've seen like we've seen we've seen, we saw with Goshi Ozaki. I guess Akiyama could be in his final, right? Huh. Now I'm thinking. So I guess okay. So Takao loses to Shunma. Endo loses to Oishi. And then um, June and UNO tie or whatever. Then Haguchi wins. That that that, that would be how that. Well, would actually, be, no, guess, because be then other, you like, still have the tiebreaker. Yeah, you still have Endo a, and Haguchi. A, a tiebreaker between Endo and Haguchi. So then you'd have to have yeah, like Haguchi beat Endo. You'd have to do like a, a playoff match between them. Or or like it'd be like who like you know. Did, like, Higuchi beat someone that Endo didn't beat? Did, like, Endo, like, you know, if we're going by, like, just logic, that he gets used for, like, the G1 or some shit or other tournaments. But, again, like, who knows at this point? (laughs) If you do that, if you try to do that, like, that kind of tiebreaker, they're actually still even. Because then, at that point, Endo has lost to two people that Higuchi has beat and Higuchi has lost to two people that Endo has beat. Oh, yeah, so we're, we're, we're really Yeah, tied. so they're, like, super tied to where they would have to do a playoff match if they ended up that way. That's why I don't think that that happens. I think. All right, we'll talk. We'll, we'll talking through it. Yeah, I think. I think it just winds up being June, just like based yeah. off of like the history of D King. Like, I think that from Goshi Ozaki to Masato Tanaka, we have a very clear lineage that goes on here. And June Nakayama just seems like yeah, like this is like this is just it. And then the question becomes, who does June face in the finals? And and realistically, that comes down to Hiroshima and Takashita. Yeah, they they haven't they haven't, fa- they haven't faced each yeah. other, and, uh, but, and yeah. the winner of that and, is the winner of the block, I think. And the last time they faced, Hiroshima did beat Takashita, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. So. So, yeah, just just keep just keep just keep just keeping that in mind. Right. Yeah, because otherwise, it's like you just have to have Brooks lose to uh, to Mao and Higuchi lose to. Um, uh, Akito, which I think you can easily do both of those, and it doesn't matter. So I do think that we end up with Hiroshima and, to, and Takashita. I think we've already done Takashita and, and Jun Akiyama, so I don't know if they go back to that. I do think that Jun and uh, versus Hiroshima is like I, a I, I yeah. Did, well, did June did did June beat Takashita? Because if if that's the case, then like then like Takashita will just be would just be getting his win back over. That's Akiyama. true. Let me go back. And yeah. I I think you go June and Hiroshima personally. But uh I wouldn't be opposed I wouldn't be opposed to them just like yep and yeah and June and June beat yeah. Takashita at Ultimate Party. Yeah, he did. So, so they might do yeah, they might do Takashita gets his win back. That's probably makes more sense. That fucking sucks to have Takashita win his block when he had such a shitty such a shitty showing this year, but whatever. Well, it seems, it seems like you only really really dislike the uh, the Akito match though. It seems like everything else you never really have a problem with. Uh, I didn't hate 
Or just, yeah. It just, just, doesn't, just, doesn't, just doesn't feel it just right. Doesn't, he just hasn't had... I mean, I don't know. I guess the Sakaguchi match was fine. I, I, I did like that. I did like that quite a bit. Yeah, yeah, you're you're fair. I guess maybe just his just performances haven't been great. He hasn't had a bunch of great matches. He's been like good. Um, so yeah, maybe like the the Brooks match or no, the Brooks match was good. I'm just trying to think. I guess yeah. I guess just the Akito match and the Mao match, but Mao has also been bad. So yeah, fair, fair. All right. Well, Quentin, anything else you want to get into before we go? Uh, no, not at all. Um. I guess we can go ahead and talk about it. Like, yeah, I guess now we're getting to the point where um, 2020 was a fucked up yes. year. Like, you know, let's just call it, you know, it was a really, really hard year in terms of just, like, life globally in terms of, like, just consuming wrestling. It's been a weird year. It's like the way that we consume wrestling has been, has been completely changed. And the atmosphere in which wrestling is uh, presented in has been completely changed. So wrestling promotions took off. Some wrestling is damn near not exist non existent at this point. Um there's been a lot of changes. So for me, what I've decided to do for the year end stuff that is usually annual for psychology is dead, I decided that instead of forcing us to try to come up with fifty wrestlers that we feel strongly about in for in twenty twenty, like let's be real. Timothy, would you have fifty wrestlers that you would like be able to like really make a like make a passionate case no, for? No. I could I could do it, but it would be mostly bullshit although some people would say that that's most of my lists so <laughs> um and then like me and brock do 100 matches like are there really 100 matches that happened in 2020 that i feel that strongly about that brock would feel that strongly about you know it just feels like the best thing to do the most responsible thing to do <laughs> would be to like like it's responsible just like you know like like i'm just saying just go up there saying bullshit like would be to just not do 2020 for now and i feel like maybe i'll like put something up on like brock's blog or something like that as for wrestler like for maybe like a smaller sample of wrestlers and matches but we decided to do is we're I'm, we're gonna do a top 50 and top 100 of the 2010s so me and timothy are gonna do a top 50 wrestlers of the 2010s and me and brock are gonna do a top 100 matches of the 2010s so for anyone looking for a psychology is dead year and content me and Timothy should get around to recording the top fifty uh, imminently. Yes. We'll have to get a we'll have to get a date in mind, or dates in mind. But yeah, so that that is the plan for anyone that'll be looking for psychology is dead year end stuff. I know there's been there's probably been the questions that some people that some people have had as to what the plan is here, and yeah, we're just gonna, we're just gonna go ahead and do twenty ten stuff, and hopefully you and hopefully you all enjoy it. Um, and yeah. That's, that's that's all I have. Yeah, that's it. I mean, good, a good point you made there. Um, it's funny because we kind of teased that we were going to do the top 50, and then I was just like, I was going to like quietly just not do it, and then 2020 made it happen for us. So, hey, it's happening. Um, we're doing the uh, the top the top 50 of the 2010s. Um, I'm actually getting pretty excited for it. I'm like thinking back on stuff, and I just had to get my brain situated properly. There was like... I don't know. I would get myself confused in like the ch- stuff that happened in the two thousands, like the the audience. Yeah, like, yeah. Like let's, like, let's yeah. be clear. Like, at, like, at, like we'll do a Wrestle Kingdom preview show probably. But other than that, my brain is about to go the twenty tens yeah. completely. But there's a lot of good so, stuff, you know. Yeah. So fair warning. Like I'll like I'll keep watching stuff. I'll keep stuff in mind. But as far as like what we're doing over here for the next few weeks and for, until whenever we record, like. The 2010 stuff 
will probably wind up be taking like precedent or priority for for both for yes, both of us. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's it. All right, Quentin. I don't know if you want to uh, say good night, but uh, good night. Oh uh, yeah, let's yeah go ahead. Um, thank you all for listening. Uh, hope you're here for all of our year festivities, and we'll see you all next time. And we 